Thank you for joining us this morning as we uh, worship God and open His Word. I want to let you know of some important stuff coming up uh, next week. Um, if you want to join us for worship, which you do, um, don't do it here because we won't be here. Uh, next week is our Trailhead United service. We're having a single service so that we as a community can gather in a single service of worship, praise, and celebration. Uh, and so we're going to be over at Edwardsville High School. Okay, We're going to be in there uh, in, in the drama center over there. Um, we needed a place that was big enough to hold us all. And, uh, and so please join us next week at 10 a.m. Show up a little bit early. And, um, and if, if you're a regular, uh, please sit toward the middle okay, uh, to help create space. Um, we're going to have both of our services combined into one. And we've also invited our daughter church, Heights Church, to come and join us for the celebration. Uh, I went and talked to Corey, the, the, the lead pastor over there, and I was like, dude, why don't you come join us this year again? And he's like, you know, Steve, we're, we're growing up, man. We can't keep coming home for the holidays, you know. Um, we, we got people that are coming and visiting. It's important for us. To, and I'm like, I totally get it. I agree with you. And, uh, and then he called me like the next day, and he's like, Steve, can we please come? I'm like, yeah. And uh, so apparently they meet at the Y, and there's a huge swim meet that happens on that day, and uh, they can't meet in their space. And so uh, God kind of told them they had to come join us. And, uh, and I was like, yes. And so uh, they're a huge blessing to us. We love those guys. We sent them out, man, what, three, four years ago. Um, they're going to be providing uh, our child care. Uh, we're going to be offering child care for kids zero to three. The older children will stay in the worship service to celebrate with us. Um, but they're going to be providing a, a team of, of people so that our child care workers, the ones that normally work in kids' ministry here, are going to be able to join us in the, in the celebration, which is just a huge blessing. Um, so next week, 10 a.m., okay? So, so if you show up for the 1045, you're, you're missing, okay? You're missing good stuff. So, so 10 a.m., uh, show up over there, show up a little bit early, and... Um, uh, it's going to be a huge celebration. We also have baptisms this morning. We'll talk more about that, but baptisms are a huge celebration. We love to celebrate uh, people's public declaration of faith. Uh, so we're going to ask you to stick around a little bit after this service uh, to, to help us celebrate um, those declarations of faith. Uh, for now, we're going to the book of Hebrews. So grab your Bibles and uh, flip over to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 1002. We're going over to Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you. It's warm in here. Um, hopefully, you weren't turning it up. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Um, we're going to spend, we spent last week in Hebrews, last, we, we, we launched the church in the book of Hebrews seven years ago. Last week was our, our seven-year anniversary and um, I love the book of Hebrews, and so I had a, a window of four weeks, and, and I just decided I was going to preach through four of, of, of my favorite passages. It was hard to pick, honestly, uh, in the book of Hebrews, um, and, and I'm going to warn you, this is deep stuff, you guys. The book of Hebrews is no lightweight, and, and so we're swimming in the deep end of the pool, and so I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles open, and to the best of your ability, stick with me, um, uh, and I'll yell at you occasionally to wake you back up. All right, um, so we're in the second week. Um, this is a letter written to Jews who were believers in Jesus in the first century. It's right after the resurrection, um, so it's brand new, man. And, and in the beginning, Judaism and Christianity really weren't seen as separate and distinct things. You, you had uh, the broader world of Judaism, and they saw this Christianity thing as kind of a sect of Judaism, like, okay, those guys are, but they're still Orthodox Jews. And, and as they lived out their faith, as they, they moved into the freedom of grace and the power of the new covenant and started living out their faith, it created a greater and greater tension between Judaism and Christianity to the point where, where those who were in Judaism started ostracizing those that were in Christianity. Now, this is a big deal because in the first century, the Jews were unlike anybody else on the earth. Their, their dress, their, their, their dietary habits, their, they were unique. They were, a, as, the, as the King James Version puts it, they were a peculiar people. And, and as a result, they didn't mix well with, with the broader world. Now, imagine this. Not only did they not mix well with outside communities, but now they were being ostracized from their own community, from, from the Jews, and so their own families and their friends and their communities, and, their, and, and they were losing economic opportunities, and, and their businesses were shrinking, and they couldn't do business, and, and, and so it was hitting them financially, it was hitting them personally, it was hitting them relationally and emotionally, and it created a tremendous amount of tension for these new believers. And many of them were tempted to go back. 
just be like, man, I, I believe in this Jesus stuff, but this cost is really high. This is really hard. This, is, this hurts, and this is challenging. And so the author of Hebrews wrote this letter to say, man, don't, don't go back because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than whatever you want to go back to. Jesus is better than that comfort, than that security, from that income. Jesus is better. The promises of Jesus are better. He, he brings a better message. He is a better messenger. And this morning, we're going to look at the fact that he gives a better rest. And we're going to be looking at chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews. We're going to read the text, and then I'm going to go back and unpack it. Um, and so follow along with me as I begin in chapter 3, verse 7, and then we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God resting on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, In the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, there's a lengthy passage here. Um, there's a, a lot going on. And I'm going to do my best to help kind of weave through the themes and, and help us see. So he starts by quoting Psalm 95, right? So if you look at, at chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, that is a quote from Psalm 95. King David wrote Psalm 95 uh, to the Jewish people of his day, right? It was a psalm addressed to his contemporaries, the people who were part of his kingdom, And he's pointing them back to a previous generation, and he's saying, don't be like them. Don't harden your hearts like they did. And he's pointing them back to the generation of Jewish people that were led out of the nation of Egypt. The people that were brought out of Egypt, through the desert, all the way to the edge of the promised land. They got right there, man. I mean, they got to the edge of the promised land. They were standing on the River Jordan. And they could see the promised land right across the river. But they didn't go in. They said, nah, we're good. And so God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died off and then the next group were taken in. So take a look again at verses 8 through 11, keeping that context in mind. All right, so starting in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion when those people were on the edge of the, the, the Jordan River. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, the 40 years of wandering. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So David, in writing Psalm 95, is looking at his contemporaries saying, hey, y'all, don't be like them. 
right? Don't, don't, don't do that, right? They said, we're not going to go in. And so God said, all right, you're, you're not going to go in. And, and they were brought all the way to the edge of the promised land. Now, you guys think about this, right? They, they were brought to the edge of the promised land. They sent 12 spies into the land to go check it out. And the 12 spies came back. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, uh, brought back a positive report. They were like, hey, y'all, this is good. We need to go get this stuff, right? Because this is a land flowing with milk and honey, which that sounds weird to me, kind of sticky. But, but what that meant was it was incredibly fruitful. It was the kind of land that, that man, it, it just, it was full of produce. It was a place for us to thrive. It was a place for us to, to find uh, a home, right? Because remember, this is the promised land that, that God had promised them through, through Abraham um, 400 years previous, right? And, 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 and Caleb and Joshua were like, yeah, let's do this. But the other 10 spies, they came back and they're like, hmm, yeah, yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey, all right. But there's giants. There's really tall people. And they'll see us coming from a long way away. I'm a little nervous about tall people. All right, listen, you guys, this is ridiculous because these are the same people that were delivered from the nation of Egypt. These are the same people that saw God bring the ten plagues on on the nation of Egypt and on Pharaoh because he wouldn't let God's people go. These are the same people that were led across the Red Sea on dry land when God separated the sea to deliver them from the troops of Pharaoh. These are the same people that were led to the base of Mount Sinai and saw God in fire and in lightning and in smoke giving the Ten Commandments to to Moses. These are the same people that were were, uh, fed in their journey by by bread that fell from heaven. Are you kidding me? Right? It was called manna. And God let this bread fall from heaven and it tasted like whatever tasted good to you. Right? It was, so it was delightful. Right? And, and these are the same people that a rock followed them through their journeys and gave them water. These are the same people that God led by night as a pillar of fire and by day as a pillar of smoke. And they're afraid of tall people. They get all the way to the edge. They're right there. The river Jordan separates them from the land of promise that was promised to their forefathers, the land that, 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 that was theirs. And they looked at it, and they said, You know what, God? We're good. And God said, Okay. You guys, this is, this is crazy. This is stupid. This is like self-defeating and self-destructive. But you know what? God said, okay. All right. You want to live life on your terms? You can have it. You don't want to enter my blessing. You don't want to enter into the promised land. All right. You know, sometimes God's greatest judgment comes when he gives us what we want. Sometimes God's greatest judgment comes when he gives us our desires, when our desires are bent and broken, when we adamantly say to God, you must bless me in this way. You need to obey me. You need to to give me the fullness of life the way I demand to receive it. Sometimes God gives it to us and it's not a blessing. Sometimes it actually hardens us in our wandering away from God. That's what happened to this generation. God gave them what they wanted. He let them have what they were asking for, and they wandered for 40 years until that generation died. And then Caleb and Joshua, the two faithful spies, led the next generation of Jewish people into the promised land. They were going to get it. God promised it. <laughs> right? They were going to get it. And they got in there. Right? And, 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 and they uh, took the land uh, as, as God had promised. And now David, listen, David, who is now king of Israel in the promised land, Right? He, 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 he is reigning over a unified Israel. Right? He and his son uh, Solomon reigned over Israel when it was at its pinnacle of glory and strength. And he's looking at his subjects. He's looking at, at his peers. And he's saying to them, you guys, don't harden your hearts like they did. And now the author of Hebrews takes up this same challenge and applies it to his hearers. You guys, 
don't harden your hearts like they did. First century Jews that are tempted to go back to Judaism, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. The blessing of God is in front of you, man. You've got to cross the river. By faith, you need to move forward. Don't, don't do it. And now as we pick up this text and read it this morning, it's being applied to us. Several times, the author of Hebrews emphasizes the word today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your, your hearts as they did in the rebellion. And what that means is, is, is that um, the invitation and the challenge is just as relevant to us as it was to them. Because they rebelled, they didn't get to enter the land, right? You guys, they didn't enter because they hardened their heart. And David was saying to his contemporaries, you guys are in danger of not entering because you might harden your heart. And, 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 the, and, and Barnabas was saying to his audience, um, you know, you don't, be careful, don't harden your heart because you're not. And, and the word of God is saying to us this morning that we are in danger of not crossing the Jordan River into the promised land, into the shalom of God, into the blessing of God. You guys, listen, what happened back then wasn't just back then. And they didn't cross because they were dumb or they didn't do it because they, they were scared. It happened because they hardened their hearts and they would not trust God. This is not just a historical event. It was a human heart event that gets repeated in every single generation. That's why David warned. That's why Barnabas warned. And that's why the Word of God today warns us. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. They didn't get to enter the land. Now, what's interesting is that Psalm 95 tells us they didn't get to enter the land, but but the judgment God brought was actually greater than that. Look at verse 11 again, chapter 3, verse 11. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my land? No. My rest. They shall not enter my rest. You guys, there's something much bigger at play here than a nice Mediterranean beachfront property. The land represented something much bigger something much more important. It represented the rest of God. It represented the Sabbath presence of God. It represented the restoration of shalom, flourishing, fullness, peace, balance to, to human experience. They didn't just miss out on the land. They missed out on having the deepest craving of their souls satisfied in God because they were determined to have those satisfaction, to have those, those desires satisfied in their own way on their own terms. And God said, okay, we're in danger of doing the same exact thing. Now, what do I mean by the Sabbath rest of God? And how does that tie in? Well, take a look at chapter 4. I want to read these verses again with a little bit of commentary. Uh, try to move through this quickly, but, but um, I want you to see verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to them, came to us just as to them. Pause. Good news is the, the Greek word evangelion that we translate gospel. So if you ever hear somebody talking about gospel, it literally means good news. What this means is they had the gospel just like we do. Right? The gospel that came to them had less revelation than we have. Right, They didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We know about that because we're born at a time where we have more revelation. Right, They had less revelation. They just had the promise of God. God said, I'm going to send a hero. I'm going to send a Savior. There will be a son of Abraham that will deliver you into the shalom of God. There will be a son of Eve who have, will have his heel bruised even though you are uh, so that he can defeat your enemy. Right? They had less revelation, but the same promise. We have more revelation. They had the gospel preached to them. We have the pro gospel preached to us. 
right? But listen to what he says. For good news or the gospel came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Today, do not harden your hearts. They would not listen to the message of God's invitation to love. They would not listen. For we who have believed or have received that message and trusted God enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath today, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whose works were finished from the foundation of the world? Well, there was only one person that was at the foundation of the world. That was God. So he's suddenly switching. He's no longer talking about, about the nation of Israel. He's talking about God, right? There is a rest that, that runs through these things, and he's going all the way back to the creation account, right? Uh, in the next verse, he says, um, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So he's referencing Genesis 1. Genesis 1, God created for six days, and on the seventh day he rested, right? <laughs> Not because he was tired, but because it was so awesome, it was worthy of looking at and delighting in right? Day six, creation's over, and God says, it is good, behold. And who's he talking to? Adam and Eve, his brand new creation, those who were created in his image who can share his delight. He says, behold, it is very good. And then they took the next day, and they just chilled, and they delighted in the goodness of God. They looked around at what God created, and they were so filled with wonder. And God was glorified as they simply saw the glory of God and what God created. They rested in God's delight. They shared in God's joy. That's what happened on Sabbath rest. God wasn't tired and need to go chill out for a while. Y'all leave me alone because I need to regroup myself, right? No, he was saying, this is so good, it's worth pausing and sitting in and delighting in. And I invite you into my delight. I invite you in to share my joy because I I created something absolutely delightful for you and for me, right? And so uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, man, there's a line. He's drawing a straight line from, from the Sabbath rest of Genesis 1 all the way to the nation of Israel when they didn't enter the promised land. They didn't enter his rest. All the way to, to David, who writes Psalm 95 to his contemporaries, right? Hey, be careful because we might miss his rest. All the way to Barnabas, who was speaking to first century Jews. Hey, y'all, we need to be careful because because we're in danger of missing his rest all the way down to us. Hey, y'all, we need to be careful because we can miss something. We might miss the very thing we were created to experience, the shalom or uh, the Sabbath rest of God. Now, here's something that's interesting. Because some of you are probably familiar with the term Sabbath. They come from certain religious traditions. Certain, there, there, there are some that are pretty strict Sabbatarians, right? And usually what they say is the Sabbath is Sunday. And so you can't do any work on Sunday, right? There, there are certain towns in the Pacific Northwest um, that completely shut down on Sunday. Like literally nobody does business. Even the drive through car washes are chained up, right? Because, because they were, they were um, uh, formed, they, they, were, they, were, they were founded by Dutch Reformed, and, and those folks, man, Sabbath rest is serious business, and they shut it down. You will not work, right? Um, here's the challenge. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's what Barnabas is getting after here. I don't, I don't think this is about you must take a day off. Because here's what's funny about this, you guys. Everybody... Who, who was being warned, everybody who already failed was already taking a day off, right? So, so when the nation of Israel was standing on the bank of the Jordan, they were taking the Sabbath off. That was part of their regular rhythm. They were doing it. And their Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, just like the Old Testament said, right? So Saturday. So at sundown Friday all the way to sundown Saturday, no work. They did twice as much work on Friday, so they wouldn't do any work on Saturday. Here's the irony, you guys. They were observing the Sabbath, but they were missing out on the Sabbath. They were going through the, 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 the process of taking the day off, but the author is saying, you're missing the reality of it. You're going through the motions, but you're not getting the reality. You got the religion, but you don't have the relationship. You have the self-control, but you don't have the transformation. You have have the behavior, but you're not being transformed by love. 
There's a way to observe Sabbath and completely miss it. When David warned his audience, they were observing the weekly Sabbath, and yet he still warned them. You guys, even while you're observing the weekly Sabbath, you can miss out on the reality of it. The, the, the First Testament Jews, first century Jews that, that Barnabas was writing to, they were observing the Sabbath. And Barnabas is like, hey, y'all, <laughs> we need to be careful because we can miss out on it. Now, today, most of us are not observing the Sabbath. Some of you may have been raised in those traditions, and, and you take Sunday off even though Sabbath was Saturday. Um, and that's cool, right? And I'm all for, honestly, taking a day off, and, and I do every week. I have a day that I, I take off, and, and I call it my Sabbath. Um, and and uh, it's, it's midweek because that's what works best for my rhythm. Today is a work day for me, and even though my work is joy, I love what I do. Here's the thing, you guys. When you love what you do, and you love your job, and you love being productive, and you love the achievement, and you love the... It's really hard to take a day off. It's really hard to step away because it's actually fun. It gives you life to achieve. It gives you life, and, and, and there's nothing that gives me more life than the ministry of this church. I absolutely love what I do. I absolutely love that I, this is my, my full-time employment. And so taking a day off is, is actually an act of faith. It requires me, one, to step away from the work, but two, to trust God with it. Because believe me, there are still people who have needs on the days that I take off right? There are, there are texts I, I have to ignore and phone calls I don't answer, and, and there are problems I don't solve because I need, I take a day off, right? So, so it is important. I think it's important to, to take a day off, but, but here's the thing, guys. It's not enough to just take a day off because it's way bigger than that. When we're talking about Sabbath rest, man, we're not talking about a day. We're talking about a condition of the heart. When I first started taking a Sabbath day off from work, um, I would step away from work. I would shut down my email. I would close my laptop. And honestly, I was filled with restlessness and I was really grumpy all day long because I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. There were things I could accomplish. There were things I needed to be done. And I was not going to do it because I was going to obey God. Yeah, <laughs> that was not Sabbath rest, right? Because Sabbath rest, remember, when God stepped away on the seventh day, did he do it because he was tired? No, he did it because he wanted to delight. Sabbath rest has much more to do with where we center our delight than how we conduct our work. You guys, they were taking a day off, but they weren't truly entering into Sabbath rest. You know why? Because um, they refused to enter into it. Take a look at verses 9 through 11. So then a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. A really weird statement. Let us work really hard to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Um, Here's the thing. In order to enter into Sabbath rest, in order to enter into genuine Sabbath rest, we need to rest in the rest of God. That's what it's saying. We need to rest from our works, but more than that, we need to rest in the rest of God. And this is going to take work to enter. We're going to have to strive to enter this rest. So how do we do this? Well, let me me put all this together. We have had a lot of multiple streams flowing and, and different, so let me just pull it together first. Let's understand the rest of God. Let's talk about this. Um, when did God rest? Seventh day, right? And we've already talked about this, right? So what did he do on the seventh day? He delighted in what he created. He stood back and said, it is good. It is very good. It's worth pausing and taking some joy in it. So God rested in what he created. He rested in what he worked to create on our behalf and then invited us into that rest and invited us into that delight. Genuine Sabbath rest is much more about delight than it is um, about work, right? But, but here's the thing. God rested another time too. So flip back to Hebrews 1, just one page back. Flip back to Hebrews 1 at the end of verse 3. So verse 3, we we looked at this last week. Verse 3 is this incredible verse talking about the, the, the deity of Christ, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. But look at the end of this verse. After making purification for sins, so after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he completed the mission on which he came to earth to do, right? After he made purifications of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is incredibly significant. 
You know what was completely missing from the Old Testament temple? The Old Testament temple where the priests would come in and offer the, the offering once a year for the entire nation, where they offered offerings daily for the sins of the people. They maintained the table of showbread, and they, they maintained the, the, the incense that was burning. Um, there, were, there were priests in it. You know what was not in there? There was not a single chair. You know why? Because the priest work was never done. They had to come in and first offer offerings for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. And because the, they were offering animal sacrifices... That couldn't cleanse the conscience of those who had sinned nor remove the guilt of their shame. And so they had to do it over and over and over. It was a never-ending process. There were no chairs in the temple. But God came as a true and better high priest who offered a, a true and better sacrifice, himself the perfect Lamb of God. And he did it in the true and better temple, the very presence of God. And when he rose from the dead, the payment was complete. He did it once for all. And he went and he sat down in the very presence of God in the true temple. Because his work was done. He rested from his work of purification because, <clears throat> you guys listen, the work of your salvation is done. There is nothing left he needs to do. Listen, the work of restoring the entire created order is already done. God is not frantically working right now, trying to figure out how to redeem and restore this mess. God is not freaked out about a government shutdown. God is not freaked out about an election. God is not freaked out. He's just the work is done. Now, it's not yet fully realized. He has won the victory, but we haven't yet received the full benefit of that victory. We live in the overlap of the ages, the tension between the first advent and the second. It's already been won, but it's not yet been fully realized, right? And, and so it's already, he's sitting in the presence of God. It is done. He is not laboring. God is not frantically working. It is done, but he has not yet fully brought the benefit of what he has won into creation. God is at rest. Listen, Jesus is at rest. Your high priest is at rest. And God's at rest in him. When God looks at Jesus, he's filled with delight. And believer, listen to me, you are covered in Christ. Which means that when God looks at you, he is at rest. He is filled with delight. Because he's filled in delight with the son who died in your place, who, who was your substitute in judgment so that you could be his partner in glory. You are covered in the very holiness and righteousness of God. God is at rest and delights in his son, which means he delights in you. God is at rest. God's rest, listen, is rooted in his delight. God's rest is rooted in his joy. God looked at creation after six days of creation and said, it is good, it is very good. And God looked at Jesus after, after three days, raising him from the dead. And, and he looks and he says, it, it, it is good, it is very good. And he looks at us as messy and as broken and as weak as we are. And he says, it is good, it is very good. Because you are covered in the very righteousness of Christ. Listen to me, you guys. True Sabbath rest isn't about taking a day off of work. True Sabbath rest is resting in the delight of God. It's allowing the delight of God to undo me and remake me. God delights in Christ, which means he delights in me, and then calls me to also delight in Christ. So we're obviously talking about way more than just what we do with our schedules or our bodies. We're talking about a kind of rest that we need to enter into moment by moment, day by day. We're talking about a Sabbath rest that is a continual decision, a continual movement toward God in faith, not away from God in self-sufficiency. Because you know what Sabbath rest addresses? Not just your behavior, but the drives that drive the behavior. The motivations that move your activities. Listen to me. Why do you work? 
Those of you who love your job, that are passionate, that, that others might even call workaholics. Why are you so driven? Those of you who are, are just determined to get that promotion or determined to get that platform or determined to get that attaboy or determined to get, you know, those of you who are so determined to save money, build up that 401k, build up those investments, build up those, why are you so driven? What, what drives you into that activity? What drives you? Those of you who are so driven to make sure your kids look perfect in public, what drives you? Well, I like to have well-mannered kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But really, come on. What drives you? What approval are you seeking? What significance are you trying to achieve? Who are you trying to make yourself to be? Because all of these efforts, all of these activities are driven by internal desires that will never let us rest because we can never accomplish enough. It doesn't matter how many platforms you get. It doesn't matter how many promotions you get. It doesn't matter how much of a raise you get. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how good your kids behave in one restaurant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's never enough. You know why you can't rest when you are driven by those restless desires? Because you are trying to achieve the shalom of God without the presence of God. You are trying to rest in your work for yourself and for God instead of God's work for you. And you are left standing on the bank of the Jordan River, looking at the promised land, parched and empty and broken and wondering why God still hasn't given you what you want. And it might be because he's given you exactly what you want. It might be because you've shown up and God said, come in to the fullness of my blessing, rest in the beauty of Christ, and you've said, you know what? Nah, I'm okay. You know, I'd rather have a promotion. I'd, I'd rather have the praise of men. I, I'd, rather have the, I'd rather have people be jealous of me, jealous of how I dress or jealous of how people treat me or jealous of what I drive. I, I, would rather, I would rather have my kids act perfect in public so that I can finally live up to this standard that I have for myself and I can look down on others who don't. What drives your work because listen to me, if we're going to enter into Sabbath rest, it's not just about ceasing working, it's about repenting of our self-centered, self-glorious drives that keep us restless and moving and active and working. We cannot rest in God until we rest in God's delight in Christ. He is sufficient, not me. He gives the glory, not my platform. He gives the security, not my 401k. He is the one that gives the acceptance, not, not my parents who are long dead who once told me that anybody who is significant looks this way or acts this way or does this thing. Our efforts to fix ourselves are going to kill us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did. Verse 11 tells us that we are to strive to enter that rest. <laughs> How does that even make sense? Work hard to rest. Like paradoxical, right? Because if I work hard, I'm not resting. Right? So what does it mean to work hard to enter that rest? Listen, right now you are standing on the bank of the river and God is inviting you into the land of Shalom, into his delight in the work of his son. But something is holding you back. And you're looking at God, and you're like saying, yeah, Lord, if you would just give me this, then I would go. If you would just give me the promotion, then I'm cool, I'll follow you. If you just give me this platform, if you just give me this person's acceptance, if you just give me, or maybe it's if you will just take away, if you will just take away this pain, if you will just take away this suffering, if you will just take away this person, if you will just take it, then I'll go. Then I'll go. And you know what we're doing? We're saying to God, I'll obey you when you obey me. I'll rest in your work for me once you allow me to rest in my work for me because my work for me is really what's important. My plan for me trumps your plan for me. My work for myself is more significant than your work for me. I want to delight in my achievement. I want to delight in my plan. I want to delight in my reputation. I want to delight in my glory. And if we're not careful, God might just hand us over. We need to strive 
to enter that rest, which means we need to strive against the worldliness of our hearts, those desires within us that want to do life apart from God. Try to get the blessing of God without the presence of God. Try to get the fullness of God without relationship with God. Whether it is through our rebellion and self-indulgence or our religion and self-control. Listen to me, you guys. God doesn't take the giants out of the land. If you're waiting for him to take the giant out of the land, if you'll just take care of this one thing, if you'll just do this one thing, if you'll just... He doesn't take... You know why? Because he doesn't want you to be obedient because you want to. He wants you to be obedient because you trust him. Not because it makes sense to you, but because he makes sense to you. Not because his plan is your plan, but because he is your God. And his love is so overwhelming and beautiful, you have no choice but to be undone and remade in obedience and in following him. Strive to enter that rest. You want to keep focusing on the giants. God wants you to focus on him. Strive to enter that rest. So in closing, two very clear things that we get out of this text. The first way we do that you know, there's a, a half a dozen times in this text, this idea is repeated. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like they did. What does it mean to harden your heart? What does it mean to harden your heart? If you harden your heart, what happens? Well, things can't get in, right? You, you create a shell around your heart that doesn't allow it to absorb what's being given to it. What's being given to your heart from God? Love and grace. You know what they were doing? They were saying to God, we will not be loved by you. We're not going to allow ourselves to be loved by you. We're not going to allow ourselves to be undone by your grace and your love, your said covenant, never-ending love. We will not allow ourselves. We will harden our hearts against your love because we are determined in our insanity to achieve our own ends. We will be like God. We will not be dependent on God. We will create our own glory. We will not revolve around yours. We will live our own story. We will not submit to yours. And that means we will harden our hearts to your love. How insane is that? Huh? That we would harden ourselves to the outpouring of the infinite love of God that is given to us in grace. And the only thing God res- wants for us, it, it, to, for that love, is for us to respond. You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to act for it. You don't have to clean yourself up for it. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is receive it. That's, what's called, that's what faith is. Faith is simply responding to the love of God. And saying, you are who you say you are. You've done what you said you've done. I receive it. It is an overwhelming, overpowering gift that undoes me and remakes me in the image of Christ. Do not harden your heart. You guys, listen. The first and most challenging thing we need to strive to do is be loved. To be loved. Not to love not to perform, not to fix, not to do our self-improvement project, not to to get more self-control, not to take care of this sin that keeps... No, the first and most important thing we do is center ourselves over and over and over again, not on the giants that distract us, but on the God who loves us. Because it's in being loved that we are undone from our pride. It is in being loved that we are undone from our self-sufficiency. It is in being loved that we are empowered and changed. Do not, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. Let grace undo your pride and comfort your pain. Today, do not mistrust God. Today, do not reject his steadfast love. Strive to allow your heart to hear that love, to fight against the tendency of your heart to resist the love of God. And there's another thing that's connected to this, and this is where we're going to close, and it's found in, in chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And then one more place. So take care, brothers, lest there is in you in an evil, unbelieving heart, right? The reason they couldn't enter the rest wasn't because they were afraid or because they, it was because they didn't, they didn't respond in faith. They, res, they hardened their heart to the love of God, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, so, notice something. You can't exhort one another 
by yourself. You just can't do it. Right? Take a look over at, at, at chapter um, uh, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. Verse 2, for good news came to them. The gospel came to them just, to, just as it did to us. But the message they hear didn't benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You guys, listen to me. If you're going to enter into the Sabbath rest of God, if your heart is genuinely going to be soft to the love of God, if you're going to be transformed and, and be able to cross the Jordan into the blessing of God in your life, you need other believers. You can't do this on your own. How ridiculously arrogant it is to think that your spirituality is a private matter and that you can do this on your own because God himself says you can't. God challenges that pride. Listen, pride flourishes in isolation. And self-sufficiency flourishes in isolation because there's no one to challenge it. We need each other. Right? Listen, you don't just need friends. And you don't just need Christian friends. You need friends who are passionate about the grace of God. You need friends who, who are like, man, I, I want to be undone by the love of God. Don't you? I want to be remade by the love of God don't you? You need a community of people that are passionate about entering the delight of God in Christ, God's delight in you, experiencing the love of God yourself and with others. You need that because I need that. I need people to remind me who I am in Christ. I need people to remind me that when I fail, I am not rejected. I need people to remind me that when I don't live up to my own standards, I don't have to because Christ lived up to the standards for me. I need people to remind me that on my best day, I still haven't earned a thing, and on my worst day, I am still not rejected. I need that, and I need to do that for others. I need to remind them, strive to enter into that rest. I need to do that in community with others. I need them reminding me, and I need to remind them. We need each other because we are a body. That's the, the New Testament metaphor for, for the church, right? By yourself, you are a pinky lying in the gutter. Good luck. You need the entire body to experience the freedom and the power and the beauty of the grace of God in, 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 in what he's given us in his rest. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It is an ever-present, ever-valid invitation. And it is an ever-present, ever-valid command. Today, right now, you are standing on the bank of the Jordan, and God is inviting you into his Sabbath rest. God is inviting you to cross over and rest in his work for you instead of your work for him or your work for yourself. He's inviting you to rest in his strength and not your own. He's inviting you to rest in his provision and his glory and his joy and his pleasure and not your own. He is inviting you. So let's unite our hearts in faith and cross over together. All right, before I close, we do have baptisms today. Baptisms are a huge celebration. Baptisms don't earn anything. Um, what they do is they celebrate what Christ has earned on our behalf, right? Um, responding in baptism, Jesus said, go out and make disciples uh, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is supposed to be the first command a new believer obeys, right? Uh, believe and be baptized. Baptism doesn't, doesn't, earn us anything from God. It celebrates what God has earned for us through Christ. Baptism isn't about our work for God. It's celebrating God's work for us, right? Because when you baptize somebody, you know, you, baptizo, the Greek word means submerse. And, and so that's what we do. We take somebody and I, I take them and I put them all the way under the water. And if I hold them there long enough, they'll die, right? But I won't. I pull them up. You know why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's what that's symbolic of, the fact that they enter into the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that they are no longer their own, that they are a new creation in Christ, that they are covered in the very righteousness of Christ, that they have a new identity and a new name rooted in the triune nature of God, one God, uh, one what, three who's, right? One God, three names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are being baptized. So you guys, it's a huge celebration. Please stick around, join us in it. And, and here's the thing, I want to give you an invitation. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been dunked, today can be your day, right? 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized, why not? You don't have to be a member here. You don't even have to like me. I don't care. Right? You have to like Jesus, right? You have to believe the gospel. So if you have not been baptized, if you're a believer in Christ, you haven't been baptized, I'm going to ask you to go to Connection Point, like right away. Talk to some of our leaders, and we're going to help you discern if, if this is the right step in the right time. And if it is, man, don't worry. We got you covered, right? We got, we got, we got baptism clothings, right? And they're black. Don't worry. Um, we've got black T-shirts for you and clothes, even the understuff, okay? Um, we're we're going to take care of you. And, and, and so here's the thing. If, if, if you are a believer and you haven't been baptized, man, what a, what a unique opportunity. You can be baptized today. Just go to Connection Point. We'll talk to you about it, Okay? All right, let me close this in a word of prayer. And, uh, and then we're going to share communion and then stick around because after that we're going to have a baptism. Father, we thank you. Oh, man. We thank you for the author of Hebrews. We thank you for, man, what an incredibly dense and complex chapter. But what a beautiful message. Lord, that, that we are invited to rest in your rest, to delight in your delight, to stop trying to earn what you give freely, to stop trying to fight for what you've already won, to stop trying to be what we can never be on our own, but to receive it all as a gift as we simply rest in your delight in Christ, to know that, Lord, you're the one that makes us significant. You're the one that makes us secure. You're the one that makes us lovable. No matter what we've done or what's been to, uh, done to us, you are the one that removes our shame and restores our dignity. You are the one who gives us a new identity and a new name. You are the one who gives us a new future. Spirit, will you call us to the wonder of that grace? Will you call us to an amazement that undoes us from our pride and, and frees us into the beauty of humility where we can simply receive and stop trying to perform? Where we will crave your plan for our lives more than we crave our own? Where we will want to cross that river to take that step of faith, knowing, Lord, that every step of faith simply frees our hearts more profoundly to be loved by you. It would be insane not to do this. The Spirit, we need you to do it all. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.